Welcome to the Better You Podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. Hey everyone, welcome to the Better You Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Stephen Reginald, CEO of All Gear Digital. I've known Stephen for a few years now. He's an outdoorsy guy, he's an expert climber, and when you look at Stephen, you think of the outdoors. Climbing, exercise, mountain biking, you name it. We're going to be diving deeper on ways that you can bring those types of activities to your company and how you can think about getting a little bit more energy in your day-to-day. Steven, thanks so much for joining us today on the Better You Podcast. Hey, Sean. Great to be here. Really excited to dive deeper, you know, on your personal journey. One of the questions I always like to kick off with is, you know, where did your road to wellness really begin and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I've always been kind of an outdoors guy, but I I leaned into fitness and health and wellness in my early 20s. Kind of the anecdote is how I got into ultra endurance, at least. My wife signed up for the uh, grandma's marathon and I didn't want to be, you know, a cheerleader on the sidelines. I wanted to participate. And so I trained up and ran the marathon and finished in three hours and 55 minutes. And that was kind of a big inflection point for me. I was never a runner. I was, you know, into some kinds of fitness, but that was just kind of an eye opener to sort of human potential. And I went on to do, you know, 20 plus marathons and adventure races and ultra events. And that was my, my wife's one and done. So she kind of tricked me into it. <laughs> That's amazing. And when you think about running an ultra, right, obviously there's a lot of training, a lot of work that kind of goes into that side. Like, how did you build up that capacity over time? For me, like we did a mile run as, as a company uh, last month or two months ago, and I struggled even just like getting out there and getting back into the swing of running again. Running hurts. And I kind of had this theory, um, there's a hump you get over. And the first month or so, it's just a grind and you need to get over that hump. And all of a sudden your body says, okay, fine, you're a runner. Let's do this. But it really does take a grind. It's unlike a lot of things where you can kind of dabble, like you can't really fake running. If you get in this optimal state, I call it the bike ride. If you get fit enough, you kind of sometimes forget you're running and you feel like you're on a bike and you're coasting. So I always try to stay in that like bike ride shape, but it's hard. Dude, I, I love cycling and I completely relate to that feeling when you're just like coasting on the bike, but I have never achieved that with my, my two feet on the ground running around. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it takes just the dedication. It's kind of what I love about running. It's just always been my baseline is can I run yeah, like a seven to eight minute mile pretty consistently for a while? If, if so, I'm in shape. You know, it's a, it's a very kind of tangible litmus. For sure. One of the other pieces you mentioned there that I really like is kind of the mental state. You know, sometimes people try things, but when you ask them like, oh, how's it going? It's just like a hobby or something like that. You had that moment of, oh, I'm a runner. And I think when people start to describe themselves that way, it's just super powerful because it's it's part of who you are and it's something you're going to stick with. Totally. I, I identify, I think people get meaning out of their groups and who they hang out with and what they do, what they think about you know, in the shower, you say like, what, what kind of enters your head when nothing else is there? If it's your obsession with something and you can identify for years, I was a climber or a skier or a whitewater guy. And then I became a runner. So that's kind of my world is identifying with that and having it, you know, seep into other areas of your life and hopefully improve other areas of your life too. 
shifting gears a little bit, thinking about your professional life, Gear Junkie, I'm assuming it's kind of incredibly intertwined with the passion you've described for kind of the outdoors and all these things. Was there ever a time when, because you worked in that space, that it began to either improve or maybe diminish kind of your love for those things just because you're so immersed in it every single day? What did that kind of look like? Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, I leaned into kind of three things to get energy from what I do every day. It's it's the topic, it's it's the outdoors, health and fitness, it's pushing limits as a person. It's the secondly, it's it's the craft of journalism and media. And I got energy out of that. And then thirdly, it was the pursuit of entrepreneurialism as I built my business. So at different points I leaned into any of those circles a little bit more. Initially, it was all about the experiences, the travel, the adventures, and writing the stories and doing the videos. And then as I kind of checked a lot of those bucket list items, met some of my heroes, climbed big mountains, my headspace went more to how do I use this kind of energy and this same kind of uh, mojo that I did for climbing mountains to building a business. And I, I really did lean into that entrepreneurial energy for kind of the last five plus years of kind of building Gear Junkie. When you think about, you know, the different things that you'd like to do in your day, whether it's the personal pleasure you get out of, you know, being outdoors or getting into health or kind of building the business, what are some of the ways that you knew where to lean, right? You mentioned kind of finding that right balance. What were some of the things that you encountered or indicators for you? You said, hey, I got to really lean into the business right now and take a step back from some of these other things or, you know, making sure that you're not losing sight of that, that passion or some of those areas that you, you care about from the topic side. Yeah, you get up every day and there are things you have to do and things you want to do. And it's a balance of figuring out where the priorities are every day. One thing, though, is I feel like if my mind is telling me I want to do this, let's do it. Like I, I, I tend to not delay a task. I'll put everything down if I have inspiration to write or work on a proposal or talk to somebody on an interview, whatever it is. Like I feel like I used to schedule things out more, and now it's more intuition-like. And I feel like it's so much more efficient. So it's just kind of that gut check, but also, obviously... There's a to-do list every day and you get through it. So it's a balance of those two things. But there's something about pouncing on you know, a task when you're motivated to do it and getting it done. And it's so much more efficient as, to, as opposed to like kind of trickling and doing a little bit here and there. So pounce like a lion and then rest or whatever the analogy is. Like, I feel like that's really an effective way to kind of get through your, your day and do things efficiently. So then let me ask you this, because I'm also a to-do list guy, and sometimes I debate on like what to tackle first. From your last statement, it sounds like you're the kind of guy where you're looking at like, what's the biggest thing that I could get done, like just kind of tackle the day, jumping in. Is that fair, or you go with other, other approaches depending on the day? What does that kind of look like? I kind of think about things more like in a week time frame, and there's maybe okay. whatever, five to 10 sort of big things I need to do a week. Obviously, there's the daily tasks. And I think a big thing also right now is just getting rid of the distractions, shutting down Slack or email or social media and focus, focus, because, man, it's so hard. Task switching is just kind of evil. Like, you just got to focus. So it's hard. I, I'm not great at that. Like anybody, I'm distracted. And the moment I get a little burned out on one thing, I think, well, what else can I be doing? That might be more entertaining. But when I can focus, it's when, it, you know, that's when things are the most effective. 
yeah, that grass is always greener. Or like maybe I could be more productive if I was doing this or doing that for, for sure. I live my life on do not disturb. My phone is always completely off. One of the other things we have in common that I actually didn't realize. So when you started Gear Junkie, right? I think you actually, you mentioned it, 25, right? I also, my first business I started was in my early, early 20s, right? Oftentimes in the early 20s, you know, my peer group was still trying to like find their path. And when I told people I was doing a business, I got some very skeptical looks, I guess. Was there a moment for you when you were going down that path where you were like, yes, this is the right thing that I'm doing right now. I've made the right choice here. I kind of jumped in and didn't look back. So I've, I'm kind of real time in that way. I did not really plan Gear Junkie to be a business. Initially, it was, it was a newspaper column. It was a blog. It was kind of my personal brand. And that took shape over a few years and kind of I built a, a plan around it. So I don't know. It was, it was pretty ad hoc in those first few years, but I was leaning into some of the templates in my industry, which were like freelance writing and syndicating content and building a blog audience and kind of slowly building this foundation to then launching the business. I launched Gear Junkie when I was 25, but I really launched kind of the business of it when I was maybe 30. So that's when we got an office, started to hire people. My role started to get more defined. It was a bit shapeless, but I was building that foundation for those first few years. And as you were working on that foundation, I I know sometimes those first years and, and anything you're doing are, are very difficult. What's a, what were some of those things that kept you going? Some of those early successes or early things that you saw, right? That kind of helped you continue down the path. The feedback loop in my space, which is media and writing, is is pretty real time. You can see on these dashboards, how is the content doing? Are people clicking the headline? Are they scrolling? Are they commenting? Are they engaging? So there's that kind of real quantitative type measurement you can look at every day, which I think propels you ahead. Whereas you can sort of just feel like you're shouting into the void at other times if you don't have those kind of signals. So in some ways, writing, journalism, media, it's, it's maybe a little easier than some spaces because you do have that kind of accountability and feedback so that you can iterate on what's working and lean away from what's not. I was building an audience of people to follow what I wrote and what my staff wrote. And that was kind of the metric, like are people interested in engaging and reading and sharing? And then the business kind of flowed from there, which is mainly advertising and clicks to retailers. So the business part of it is hopefully a result of kind of building the foundation, building the audience. No, I like it, right? You got to start by providing that value and then everything flows from there. And if you're doing a great job at the first part, the second part is a lot easier. I've seen a lot of folks try to monetize too soon with whatever their business is. And, you know, maybe the product isn't quite ready. Maybe the, the content isn't quite at the level it needs to be. But it's a smart way of, of doing it, right? Taking your time and building a, building a base of people who care and are interested in what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's always the goal. And I, I think with, I went to journalism school and that's, that's my roots. And so my kind of ethos is to break the story, cite the trends, like get the scoop. And then it's thrilling to publish and see people engage and inform people, entertain people, maybe change opinions. So that's, that's a big motivator. It's, it's different than just a monetary motivator. I like it a lot. 
I'm curious though. So as you were, were building the business, right? It seems like media has changed a lot in the past, you know, 10 years or so. Like how do you stay on top of the ch- the trends, the changes? Were there ever any really big changes that you encountered where you remember kind of going back to strategic planning and just going like, oh man, what does this mean for our business? It's been a wild west. Since I graduated from journalism school you know, 20 years ago, it was all about print newspapers and glossy magazines. And then kind of web 2.0 popped up with social media and YouTube, and then the mobile phenomenon, and then video, and then, you know, this little burst of sort of web three stuff and now AI. So it's just, you got to stay nimble and you got to lean into kind of the new tools and levers to reach people and engage with people, but also don't get sucked in so deep that you kind of forget the core of it, which is great content and connecting with humans with pictures and words and some of the storytelling and communication, it's sort of age old and mm. building on top of these levers, you know, right now for the last six months, we've been looking at AI and all the tools. And just today, one of my designers was showing me a bunch of mid journey work he was doing. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And so, but let's not lose sight of that. We're not going to replace all our photography with AI generated mid journey. We will use it when it's appropriate. So yeah, it's it's staying nimble, but kind of not forgetting the core, the baseline of what you do. So I I love that take, and maybe to to sidetrack just a minute. I know there's been a lot of discussion around AI, especially in writing, and folks have questions around journalistic integrity. Or do you have to label that this topic kind of came from you know ChatGPT or Bard or or any of them? What's kind of your take on on that kind of debate that's going on right now, and how do you see those types of tools impacting the work that y'all were doing? Yeah, huge kind of onion to unpeel there, but really <laughs> top line for sure. Transparency is an operative word right now. If you're going to use these tools, let people know if they need to know. Like, I don't let my readers know that we're using spell check and Grammarly. So, do I need to let them know we're using Chat GPT to put together a list of the top 100 mountains to climb in America? Um, probably not something that's just a reference like that, but if we're doing, uh, how to change a flat tire and we're doing a hundred versions of this article and putting it out there for a bunch of geographies, yeah, let's label it at the bottom, AI generated, AI assisted machine learning tools, whatever. I I'm all about transparency, but I also think some of that doesn't matter so much because people have, they can sniff out what's not authentic. And then also the, the algorithms crawl and they, they, they basically judge the content on its uh, information. Google put out sort of an edict that, you know, go ahead. This was four or five months ago. Maybe it's changed, but go ahead and use AI generated content if you want, but we're going to judge it with the same filter we use for human driven. We don't really care. It's like, just give people on search what they're looking for. All this comes to, though, is we, we don't really utilize these tools much. They're, they're not really ready for prime time for writers. Like, yeah. It's kind of interesting. We put a lot of emphasis, me and my editorial team, on testing Claude and Bard and Bing and ChatGPT and, and more customized writing tools. And every time we're just like, it's not really that usable. Funny enough, like MidJourney has turned out to be pretty usable because we'd hire illustrators to do a very specific type of graphic. And now we can do that with prompts. So that's, 
kind of wild. Like I, I, I feel like that's for my, my particular industry and space that right now the image tools are more usable kind of public facing than the, the text tools. Mid journey got me back into discord, right? Like I, I wasn't really using totally. discord very much and I was like, Oh, I should use this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I got to go in there again. I was off Discord and then Midjourney's like, wait a minute. You know, initially it was just to make a Pixar version of whatever my family and, and friends, because that was such a cool trend that was going around. But then you realize, wait a minute, you could make a new scene or create like a picture of some office work going on that we can use in our blog. And I think the ability to do that without me having to go in and design anything, it's pretty neat. So I, I'm definitely with you there. And the advancements they've made over the summer have been massive. Speaking of transparency attribution, underneath these illustrations, it just says illustration by mid-journey or, you know, that, that tends to be what we use. But, and people, readers see that and they, you know, so I don't know, I guess, yeah, we want to be transparent. We don't want to try to trick humans or kind of, you know, or the, the search. A huge part of our business is SEO. So we got to be careful not to kind of rock that boat with some experiment. Shifting gears a little bit. So thinking about, you know, outdoors and, and health and wellness, one of the areas that, you know, we see a lot of is companies are looking to do more activities, more types of health activities. And we do see outdoor activities. Sometimes it's a harder type of activity for them to put on just because there's different considerations. Sometimes folks are feel excluded, you know, depending on the age demographic or if you're as mobile as other folks. Do you have any thoughts on ways companies can incorporate or start to get back more outside when it comes to health and wellness? Because I do think, sure, I could go and exercise in a gym somewhere, but it's very different. Like going on, going for a spin class versus actually going outside in a park somewhere in nature. It's a very different experience for me. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just a mind shift in a way. Instead of running on a paved trail, go run on a dirt trail. Yeah. Instead of doing a spin class, go bike around a lake. I feel like there's all these kind of easy entry points in society. It depends where you live, obviously. We're here in Minneapolis, Twin Cities. There's hundreds of miles of trails and green space and parks and lakes. It's so easy to kind of get into this urban outdoors. And that's kind of the entry to, to maybe bigger outdoors. So sure. I feel like it's just that easy to, to just reframe some of these activities and do them in the outdoors. But then beyond that, I mean, I think outdoor people outdoor groups are the most friendly people in the world they they want they want more people to be in their orienteering club and their mountain bike club there's so many angles so true even if i'm having a really bad day climbing right that community is so positive and encouraging and like everyone wants you to win and mm -hmm. i might be totally down in the dumps and not getting the move i want to get or whatever it is and everyone's always you know there to help you and give you some ideas and I think it's a good group for sure. It's a really good community of people and it kind of perpetuates. People are happier outside and 99% of the time people are welcoming and want you to be involved and are happy to help and happy to show you the map and whatever it is. And yeah, just, just get outside. It's, it's that easy in a lot of ways. So thinking on that same topic, right? What are some of your favorite experiences or memories from the activities you've done, right, in the outdoors, things you've climbed, bike trails, whatever it might be. Like, I'd be curious, what are some of your, your favorite memories as you think about that side? Yeah, I've been all around the world. So 
from the epic to kind of the local, I just, I, I'm outdoors every day. I biked through the city today to get to this office and went around some lakes. So I try to get a little hit of the outdoors whenever I can. I live by the Minnehaha Creek and I choose the little dirt trails to go walk my dog instead of the pavement. Nice. So there's, there's those kind of daily uh, efforts to stay connected to some kind of nature. Funny thing is I've, I've actually just been getting up every morning and kind of sitting and looking east and watching the sunrise, drinking coffee. I feel like doing that instead of looking at a screen or being indoors, it just starts your day off right. So, and then, you know, on the way other end of the spectrum, I've you know, trekked to Mount Everest and been to the tip of South America and had some of these epic, epic experiences. So those are the, you know, a few times a year you'll do something epic, but you can, you can build that into kind of your daily lifestyle as well. For sure. You know, I love what you said about starting your day off with the sun and not looking at a screen. One of the moments for me was I realized, because I use my phone as my alarm clock, which I don't do anymore, but I used to use it as my alarm clock. And so I'd get up and I would see these, you know, push notifications of all the things I had missed. And I would immediately go into triage mode of responding to an email or doing a text as if somehow the most important thing for my day to day was something I missed while I was asleep. And it just didn't make any sense at all. So that was a big realization for me on that side yeah i think that's a pretty easy life hack is like at least give yourself 20 minutes a half hour every morning before you jump back into the fire i love it i'm thinking about how you know health and well-being kind of ties back on the business side have you ever had an experience you know maybe it was uh you know a climbing trip or even some of the stuff you're doing day to day like biking into work where that wellness experience kind of translated into something for the business, like it triggered an idea, it helps you go from one point to another. Yeah, I think the the kind of hustle of that that's required with an entrepreneurial effort. It's just kind of a given when you're a climber or an ultra endurance person, you're hustling in a different way. So there's sort of that work ethic that's formed. And I think early in my career, I lacked kind of this imposter syndrome, because it didn't seem that scary to go pitch the New York Times on a crazy idea when I had been dangling off a cliff or doing some big ultra event. And it sounds kind of silly, but it's like real. Like I, I just, you have a different context when you're out there doing big adventures, kind of putting your life on the limb, really. And it translates to kind of your uh, mentality around work and dealing with people. It gives you confidence. You know, maybe it's that simple. It gives you confidence. And I had the confidence to push and kind of try to punch up my weight class for years. And it really helped perpetuate my career. You know, just those ideas of being able to have that resilience, right? Because you've encountered so much. And so like this thing that you're encountering right now, there's no way it's going to be harder than that thing which you already did. That's awesome. Yeah, it does translate in a weird way. And you don't you don't realize it. But I also feel like just doesn't need to be in ultra endurance races. It can be a daily workout routine or a fitness routine or a nutrition, like just making that extra effort to push yourself a little bit and be the best person you can be. It translates all over your life. It's not just in that one spot. It's awesome. Slightly different question. So I asked a little bit about your favorite. What was the hardest experience for you from a physical health and well-being perspective? Was it the first marathon you ran was it something else along the journey like where, where did that kind of tie out i got kind of a taste of the pain cave and this this lean into the suffering with some of those marathons and early ultra endurance events and then i just kept upping the ante i wrote this column called ultra fit for the star tribune for years and it 
it kind of forced me to try to become ultra fit in both like body and mind and psychology. And I leaned into this theory of like human potential and how far can you push yourself? And it, it came to a, you know, climax in South America. I raced for nine days across Patagonia to the tip of South America. We slept under bushes and drank out of streams and just kind of became animals and raced for hundreds of miles across the wilderness, swam across a fjord. So that was the most, you know, the biggest adventure of my life. And we got to the finish line, just ragged and half dead and kind of like baptized into this new kind of, you know, coming back to the real world, so to speak, was just a totally different experience. So that big, big adventure, I did that twice. I did that race twice, 2010 and 11, and it kind of changed my life. That sounds like a really awesome experience. I've always been personally a little afraid of an ultra because like we talked earlier, it's hard to get into that running mode and be a, be a runner again after you've taken some time off. I guess, what are some of the things that, you know, for someone maybe who's trying to get back into it, who's taking a long break or someone who's kind of starting for the first time, are there any ways to get them kind of that same type of, you know, outdoor experience, but have it be kind of that lighter, you know, more entry level point. I think you mentioned some of them earlier, but would love to dive back there. Yeah, I think one thing on the fitness side is making your rot- your routine repetitive in a way. I feel like if you run the same route, say it's one mile or three miles, whatever it is, you have the same route every time, you know, schedule it out, just have it set. So it becomes a thing you do every day at 3 p.m. You go run two miles down this trail to this bench and then you run back and it kind of frees you from the thought of like, okay, what's my routine? What do I do? You just know this is what you do. It's 3 p.m. Go do it. If your mind is saying, I don't want to do this. I want to sit down. That's when you got to sort of fight and say, no, let's do this. Like I've been a runner for years and still, I just, a lot of times like, I don't want to go running. And when I have that feeling, I make myself go running. I feel like running gives you energy too. It feels like it's going to steal energy, but it actually gives you energy. Something new, a different system kicks in in your body. So it's getting over. It's so easy just to sit down and lean back where you got to make that little extra effort and get, get kind of over that inertia. Man, I want to be like the guy in Chariots of Fire, Steven. I want to be like <laughs> running and just having it all happen, but I, I've never quite hit that stride. But maybe I just got to keep getting the right routine. Maybe I got to go more consistently. That could be the key. I like it. <laughs> yeah, for me, I when I first got into running, I had this three-mile route. It was kind of around this golf course where I lived and did it with my dog. And it sucked for like the first two months. I hated it. And I just made myself do it. And so... I keep going back to running because again, that's kind of my baseline. This could be anything. It could be a fitness routine. It could be biking. I think also building these things into your life. I bike to work, for example, like it's, yeah, it's fun. It's easy. It's, you get out. It's just, if you live in a place where there are trails, especially or off-road biking corridors, like it's so much better than sitting in traffic and parking. And so that's been great to me, just being a bike commuter. And I, for years, did it all winter too. Got a winter bike and I've got a little softer now, but it's like a little adventure every day. And if you can embrace that, it becomes just part of your lifestyle. And here in Minnesota, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, like you need the big tires, maybe sometimes even like the chains on the tires. Like that's a, that's a big deal. It's a bit silly, a bit much. Well, Steven, so thinking about our combo, right? We talked a lot about outdoor fitness, running, cycling, climbing, all these things. What does wellness mean to you when you think about it in the abstract? It's kind of the holistic, physically fit plus 
mentally fit plus, you know, I guess it's emotion, emotions, mental and physical, kind of those three things. So wellness to me says, you know, the whole package. And that means you eat right and you stay fit and stay active. You have good relationships. You're doing what you want to do. If you can check a lot of those boxes, I know you're, you're on the wellness track and all those dial up and down depending on the phase of your life and what you're doing and where you're at, but trying to maintain that kind of holistic uh, you know, scope on it and not, not, not drifting in any one of those areas. I've seen a lot of my, you know, I've seen a lot of people, for example, just get into careers that they just hate and they spend their lot of their life just kind of in this state of like, why am I here? And you got to fix that. That's not how you want to live your life. Um, maybe they're a super fit person and they eat right or whatever, but they, they might just you know, not enjoy what they do day to day. I think it's that balance is really important. I like that a lot, right? That sense of, of fulfillment, of purpose, right? is kind of part of the puzzle where, yeah, I might be in great shape, but if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I'm not kind of mentally or emotionally in a good spot, that makes it tough to bring my whole self anywhere, let alone to work. What's one simple thing? If you had one simple thing that someone could do, maybe starting today or next week, that could start to set them on a path to improving their wellness, what would it be? I think, like I said a minute ago, it's just pushing back against that voice in your head that says, that looks too hard or that's scary. Just got to get over that little hump. There's this survival preservation thing that people have where they just want to hunker down and be safe. And that works to an extent, but it can, it can just kind of um, make you too too passive. And I feel like that's one thing. So I don't know if that's relatable to a lot of people, but to me it is like, I have that little voice in my head. Again, like I, I don't, I might not want to eat right, or I might not want to do my workout, or I might not want to make this call at work. That's scary because I'm going outside of my comfort zone. Get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Do something that scares you every day, even if it scares you just a little bit. I think about the my very first company. So I did a lot of the the phone calls, the outreach, right? And in those moments when we were really like early doing it, I would call a lot of people. And there was always this moment when someone would actually pick up the phone. These are people I've never chatted with, right? Where when the moment I hear that that phone isn't going to voicemail, that there's a person on the other line, you get that that jolt of like a fear in your system where you go, <laughs> okay, I've got to, what's the, what do we say here? What, what question am I asking right away, right? And that was even after probably having chatted with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people at that point, every single time I would still get that when someone picks up, you go, okay, there's a person here. It's not going to voicemail. Yeah. Some of that stuff never gets easier, does it? Kind of just got to get used to that discomfort. It's not that bad. That's the other thing. Like a lot of these things, they seem scary. They're not that bad. I had this famous ultra runner tell me once when I was getting into ultra running, he said something like ultra running, it's a lot of suffering, but it's just it hurts a little bit for a long time, as opposed to like, you know, you stub your toe, it hurts a lot for like a, a second. Ultra running just hurts. When you're really, when you're running, you're at mile 20 or 30, it hurts. But if you really kind of objectively try to think about it, you're like, I'm not that bad. It's not like I'm in screaming pain. I'm just a little uncomfortable. Let's keep going. Yeah. So if you can kind of accept that, that kind of helped me frame it. I have another friend who's a big ultra athlete and he told me once that he decided to reframe pain as a sensation 
And that was it. That was as simple as it was in his head. He said, it's no longer pain. It's just a sensation. And to him, that allowed him to, he's getting a blister or his knee hurts. It's like, that's a sensation. It's not something that I urgently need to attend to because your mind is screaming, stop, fix this. But really, it's just a blister. Keep going. Yeah, you've had those before. Exactly. That resilience piece you mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's funny. I think back to the the idea of the fear that maybe it never actually goes away. For me, it also, I think, triggers a lot of adrenaline, which actually ends up being a good thing, right? Where it's like, okay, I feel maybe it's that split second or a couple seconds of fear, but that also gets me, you know, at the right level that I need to be at to perform my best, I think, in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. It, embracing that discomfort, your body kicks into some other mode. And oftentimes you perform higher than you would if you weren't sort of scared or nervous or had the trepidation. We've got a lot of years as a species of fight or flight. I'm trying to figure out how to use it. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, Stephen, this has been awesome. I guess one, one question here as we kind of are winding down, as we think about where people can follow you to learn more about your journey and some of the adventures you're going on, what's the best way for our listeners to stay in touch? Yeah. And the Gear Junkie platform, I, I still write occasionally for the publication and I'm more on the executive side now with All Gear, our parent company. Looking at Gear Junkie, all our socials and our site is kind of the best way to stay in touch with what I'm doing. I love it. Thanks so much for taking the time. This is a blast. Yeah, Sean. Great to talk. And um, yeah, good luck. Thanks for tuning in to the Better You Podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, learn more at betteryou.ai.